approximately 109 hours and maybe 10 minutes. That's all we've got left of the year 2020. Now, some would say, <laughs> good riddance. <laughs> it's been a rough year. It's been a year of tough times for Christians and for non-Christians, for people that we know and people that we've never met. It's been a tough year for people for financial reasons, for medical reasons, and more importantly, for spiritual reasons as well. Separated from loved ones, adapting to different styles of worship, being in the parking lot, being in the building, back in the parking lot, back in the building, worshiping from home and doing all the things that are a part of 2020. You know, what is interesting about 2020, though, is that in addition to all of the drawbacks to it, we have seen so many great things. Acts of kindness, people who have been generous, people who have stepped up to help others, maybe in ways that they would have never imagined the opportunity to have presented itself if some of the things in 2020 hadn't been present. But this will be the final sermon on a Sunday morning in 2020, and I thought that I would talk about a subject that we can all agree on, but about some things that maybe we sometimes challenge ourselves in order to apply, and that is to make sure that we are pursuing peace, not only in the final four and a half days that are left of 2020, but as we prepare for 2021, we'll talk a lot about peace and pursuing peace. Our sign, which has verses changed every month so that we have 24 different passages outside of our building, will all be about peace in 2021. And it is certainly our prayer as a congregation, certainly my wish as an individual, and certainly, I think, God's wish that we be a people who are at peace, who pursue peace together. I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 12. We're going to spend a considerable amount of time in the book of Romans. We're going to start in chapter 12, then go to a couple of other places, and then come back to the book of Romans to spend the majority of our time together today. Thank you so much for being here as Brother Ben pointed out, we have a lot of visitors, and we are thankful for you being with us. Uh, we made mention of this Wednesday that we do have rules here at Northfield Boulevard that if you visit more than once or twice, we require that you uh, go ahead and just move here and just stop this nonsense of coming back and forth. Now, we appreciate you being here, and we are so delighted for our members being here as well. We have a number of individuals who are traveling. We're glad that they have the opportunity, and we are prayerful that they'll have safe journeys as well. There's a lot to be said about the Bible and about the subject of peace. I want to look at a half a dozen passages and spend just five minutes looking at these six passages here, and then I want us to turn over to another place in the book of Romans. But it starts here in Romans chapter 12, where we're looking at some pertinent, powerful passages. And we'll read these verses as well as maybe a verse or two to establish some context on the subject of peace and why the Apostle Paul, the writer of the majority of these passages, as he talks about peace. He says in verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil, and have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, 
live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. This is not a sermon on Romans chapter 12, verse 18. But if I were to do a full-fledged sermon just on that one verse, I'd highlight as much as it is possible. You and I can be men and women of peace only to the point where others are willing to engage in that peaceful priority as well. Furthermore, we are to have regard for good things in the sight of all men, not just some men. And then that phrase, all men, is used again where he says, live peaceably with all men. That's not where we live peaceably with men who, and women who are peaceable with us. Even those who are cantankerous and those who are grouchy and those who are tough to deal with, we are implored by the Holy Spirit to be at peace with them as well. Turn over maybe three, four, five pages in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where in verse 12, the apostle there says, Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. I love that particular uh, phrase that is used there, edification of the church that you seek to excel. Even though the word peace is not used in that passage, we are trying to excel at building up the church, one another, individually, and collectively. In his letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, he says, I therefore am the prisoner of the Lord, and I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That bond of peace, that guarantee of peace, that focus on peace is what the gospel message is truly all about. Paul wrote to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 12, going back to where we started. And he says in the first six verses, nothing about peace per se, but he says a lot about peace in the application. In Romans chapter 12, he says, I beseech you. And whenever Paul says, I beseech, he's saying, I implore you, I beg you, uh, uh, flashing lights to get your attention about something big that I'm about to say. He says, I'm, I'm begging you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable servants. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect in the will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, verse 3, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we also, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing to according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. 
The point of that passage is that we are in fellowship with one another as we sing together this morning. And I appreciate Caleb picking songs that talk about pursuing peace and fellowship. The idea of how sweet, how heavenly it is when brethren come together, as the psalmist says, and dwell in unity. Paul, again, the primary writer of the New Testament, wrote to the church at Philippi. And he says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, If there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, he says, Fulfill my joy, make me happy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, and being of one mind. In order to do that, verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. The word peace is not used in those couple of verses, but it is clear that the Apostle Paul says that if you want to have peace, establish peace, maintain peace, that you must be people who are willing to look out for the benefit of others more than you look out for the benefit of yourself. And then in the letter written to the Hebrews in chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Verse 13 of Hebrews 12. Make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Verse 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Blessed are the peacemakers, we read, for they shall be called the sons of God. And it is clear in verse 14 that the writer here, whoever he is, is writing as he is inspired by the Holy Spirit to get us to understand the point that without the pursuing of peace with all people and holiness, we will not see the Lord. Without a, a doubt, and I don't think that I have to go to much more trouble to prove, the Bible is central to peace, and peace is central to the biblical message of the gospel. Interestingly enough, we only looked at a half a dozen or so instances, and some of them didn't even reference the word peace, but the word peace is used some 400 times in the Old and New Testaments combined. It is clear that God wants us to be a people who are at peace. And in a world that is filled with so much animosity towards individuals and anger and angst, we are to be men and women who pursue peace. Which brings me to the major text in Romans chapter 14 that I want us to focus on this morning. In Romans chapter 14, you can read it from a couple of different perspectives. But I want to read it from the perspective of obtaining peace, attaining peace, and maintaining peace. Of being men and women who are mature enough as brothers and sisters in Christ that we acknowledge that we are at different levels and at different places. 
spiritually speaking. Romans chapter 14 reads the following, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will, make, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. But he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. We'll pause there and we'll look primarily at this first half of Romans chapter 14, although there's something to be said for the last few verses as well. But if we were to look at this text and kind of outline, I think we start by acknowledging where Paul acknowledges that there is a presence of weak brethren. Or, to put it another way, brethren who have a different perspective. Now, as good Bible students, we know that in the first century that there were Christians who came from a Jewish background versus Christians who came from a Gentile background. And consequently, they had different upbringings and different beliefs and different customs and different days and holidays that they would celebrate. And so they had to all mesh together. And one Christian would say, well, you're not doing it right because you're not celebrating the day that I celebrate. Or the other would say, you're choosing to celebrate a day that I don't choose to celebrate. Therefore, you're wrong. And Paul comes along here by way of the Holy Spirit. He says, you've got to understand that you all must work together for peace. And that's difficult to do. Peace is difficult when you have two people involved in, in any sort of relationship, let alone when you have hundreds or thousands of people in terms of the church in a universal sense. One of the things that is interesting to point out, at least that I think is interesting, is where Paul acknowledges the presence of weak brethren is remember that weaker brethren are still brethren. Think about that for a moment. He doesn't say, those of you that are the strong brethren, you are the real deal. Those of you that are weaker, well, you're just subservient to the others. We have the responsibility of looking out for weaker brethren and trying to make them stronger. Yes, after all, the edification of excelling in which we are to be involved based on 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12. But here Paul teaches on the subject of mutuality. 
It's a fancy word that simply means that we are all involved in the same thing, trying to do the same thing, trying to get to the same place. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. We are in this thing together. I, I saw where it was said just a few days ago that it's not that we're all in the same boat, but that we're all in the same storm, maybe in different boats. And I thought that was kind of, kind of cute, kind of neat. But we are all in the same storm, whether that be what's going on in 2020, whether that be the spiritual dimension of trying to stand for the truth in spite of all of the naysayers, we're all in the same storm trying to do the same thing. And in order to achieve peace, we have to have a focus on God that is first and foremost. Notice verse 8, which we read just a few moments ago. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Who wrote this? The Apostle Paul. It was he who would write in Philippians chapter 1, for if I live, check mark, I'm good with that. And if I die, check mark, I'm good with that. Remember that Paul was the person who says to live or die, gain Christ all the same to me because I'm focused on the Lord. No wonder why Paul talks about peace so much given the background of where he came from. We must also acknowledge here in Romans chapter 14 that individual perspective on things that God doesn't, quote, care about is key. And I put that in quotes, and I actually labored over putting that in quotes, and I, I labored over using that because I'm not suggesting that God doesn't care about certain things. My point is simply this, that whether or not these ancient Christians celebrated a particular feast for their own personal holiday was not something that God seemed to be incredibly concerned about. But instead, as we'll talk about in just a moment at great length, it is the conscience of a person that matters most of all. And then verses 14 and 15. I do want to read those two verses. I know and I am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. And then verse 15. If your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. So don't flaunt the fact that you choose to celebrate feast A in front of your brother, knowing that that's going to cause him or her, your sister, a problem. Because we must act out of love. Which brings me back to Romans 14 in a more global sense and the idea of a question of conscience. Now, full disclosure, uh, preachers, we do borrow things from one another, uh, and we will sometimes use ideas from one another. Very rarely do I ever take a slide from another preacher and, and take the whole thing, but I'm, I took his whole slide. I won't tell you who it is. I will tell you that he's over 80 years old, that he's been preaching for probably 55, 60 years, and most of you would know who he is. But I was in a study with him along with some brethren from England just a few weeks ago when I was preparing this sermon, knowing what I was wanting to talk about today, and I said, I'm going to use that slide. I didn't even, I didn't even ask him permission <laughs> because I already know what he would say. He would say, if, it's, if it can help you out, 
I wanted to help you out. A couple of observations that was made in that study. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, verse 14, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Then verse 23, which we did not read. He who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. So here was the point that he was making, especially to Christians who were living in a part of the world where the parameters of whether or not they could get together and worship during the virus was much more limited than it is here in the United States. We're very fortunate in that even though there are restrictions, we're free to be together. The United States, the state of Tennessee, the state of Indiana, the state of Arkansas, whatever you're, wherever you're from, is not typically mandating uh, churches to stop meeting. There are some places where that is the case in parts of the country. But generally speaking, the majority of us are free to meet on this occasion. That's not the case in certain places in Europe and elsewhere in the world. Which brings me then to this. The point that he was making is that some good, sincere, conscientious brethren believe it would be wrong for them to attend a service, risk their health in violation of government rules based on the best medical advice that is available. Some Christians would feel that way. And there may be some who are present here who, especially if their restrictions got so difficult, you would feel that way. I can't do that and violate that rule. Some have the conscience that requires them to break bread at home or on a journey when they cannot assemble with saints. There are times where because of business travel or because of your vacation choices, asterisks, we need to do our very best when we are traveling to try to assemble as much as possible. But there are times where you might be in a state or in a country where it is truly impossible for you to assemble with other brethren. And it's just you and your spouse or just you and your family or just you and a, a couple of other brethren. And some brethren say, it is absolutely mandatory for me to break bread on that occasion. And then there are other Christians who say, it's not mandatory for me on that occasion. But all have a conscience that has to be clear when making that particular choice. Furthermore, others believe that the Lord's Supper should be taken only in an assembly to which the whole church is expected to attend. And their conscience dictates that as well. Still, we go back to Romans 14 verse 4. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. And then a final thing that I thought was a really good observation, and one that I think we can all appreciate, is that everyone is wrong if they violate their conscience. James says, to him who knows it is to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And here in Romans chapter 14, particularly in verse 23, he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. Whatever is not from faith is sin. Now you may say, well, where in the world is this going? And what is the point for all of this? Well, the remainder of our time together today is a result of 2020. 
It's a result of the issues that we faced and unfortunately are going to continue to face. I wish I could tell you that I was a prophet from God and that 108 and a half hours from now, things are going to be a lot different, but they're probably going to be the same for a while, right? And things are going to be difficult. I was also asked to address this, and I'll do my very best to do so in the spirit in which the request was made. But what about from principle to practice in 2020 and beyond? How do we consider issues related to COVID-19, issues of masks, issues of attendance, and the like in light of everything we know from the Bible and peace? Because let's give ourselves a little bit of slack. Let's cut ourselves a little bit of slack. It's been a difficult year. It's been difficult for churches. And whether you are aware of it or not, my guess is, is you are aware of it, that sometimes there's a little tension in the air when it comes to the virus, when it comes to masks, when it comes to the choices that our shepherds have to make in order for us to be together, that those of you who are present in the auditorium have made a conscientious decision that this is good for you, right for you, and safe for you. And that those who are in the parking lot or those who are home have said, this is what's right for me and my family at this time. And it is a tough year for us. Let me suggest four things. Number one, when it comes to every issue, not just related to this but related to everything that we could otherwise talk about spiritually, our brother or our sister has to come before me and I don't have to get my way. Remember, Philippians chapter 2 is a verse that every time, if, by my count, every time the elders have communicated with us this year about something related to we're back in the parking lot or now we're back in the building, now you cannot wear masks. Now you can wear masks. Now you must wear masks. Whatever the case may be, that Philippians 2 verses 3 and 4 has been at the heart of that message. The idea of let each of you esteem others better than himself. Put the interest of the other person in front of you. Number two, respecting one another or going to Carrie's verse or to Paul's verse that Carrie referenced in Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 32. Be kind. That kind of respect and kindness doesn't always mean that I have to be right or that I have to, going back to point number one, get my way. Let me suggest that when it comes to forbearance, this is something that David and I discussed in the last couple of weeks. I'll tell you, I love him. I wish he was here, but I'm glad he's able to be away with his family. But being able to work with him is an absolute pleasure. And we are so grateful and so fortunate to have him here at this congregation. But there are times where he'll come into my office and say, I can't figure it out. What am I supposed to do here? And then I go to his office and I'm like, I don't know. What am I supposed to do here? And we bounce these ideas off of one another. But David and I came up with this particular point, and I thought it was really quite brilliant. There are two sides to forbearance. It's not one-sided. So when you are bearing with someone 
it means that you're going to have to put up with whatever their concern is or their issue, whether it be one that you perceive to be valuable or important or not. You both have to have two sides of the forbearance. And then number four, to achieve peace, sometimes you or I must acquiesce. And sometimes that's really hard for us, especially as Americans. <laughs> I got to get my way. Because if it's not my way, it's the highway. Well, if it's not my way, that's okay. I will not and have not in this sermon share with you how I feel about the virus or about masks or about what 2021 is going to look like. Frankly, who cares what I think? What we do care about is what others perceive to be important to them and what matters for them. The real practice for us moving from 2020 and now quickly approaching 2021 is this. When it comes to masks, when it comes to parking lot services, when it comes to streaming services, when it comes to brethren making the choice to stay at home to worship for a period of time, we've got to be patient with one another. We have to practice that patience in order to achieve that peace. Let me suggest, secondly, in all things, our goal is to pursue peace and never to prohibit its place in our lives or in our congregations. I put up here the next two statements, our real statements. Uh, and I've heard a number of statements that I haven't put up on, on the uh, board um, to protect the innocent. Or maybe to protect the guilty, I don't know. But these are innocent statements. These are good statements. One of them is made by a member of the church here. And I, again, I understand that we have to be respectful of all people who have lots of different concerns or issues that they have to individually deal with. But a few months ago, one of our members made this statement to me. He says, if I have to wear a mask so that someone else feels comfortable worshiping, I'll do it. Now, there are people that can't, and I understand that. There are some medical situations that prevent a person from doing that. I'm not talking about that, so please don't say, well, that's really harsh for you to say about the other person. I simply like the attitude of the person. If it's, I never eat bacon again because it offends the Jewish Christian, <laughs> I will never do it again, especially around them. And then this is from someone who is not in the auditorium. And you may know who he or she is. I won't tell you who it is. You can pay me $1,000 and I still won't tell you who it is that made this statement. If I have to worship in my car for an extended period of time, that's very little being asked of me in comparison to our earliest brothers and sisters. This is a person who feels that it's, 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 it's necessary to stay in the car for a period of time because of his or her or their health. And their perspective is, if that's what I've got to do, I'm okay with that because especially given what my earliest brothers and sisters had to endure, none of us are being lit up like a torch. 
None of us are being imprisoned. Very few of us are losing our jobs because of our faith. It could happen. But more than likely, not. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind. We are to be slow to anger. We are to be quick to forgive. We are to be those who are peacemakers because blessed are the peacemakers. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a passage that our brother Kerry read for us where he says, Paul does, love suffers long and love is kind. And love does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in truth and then love bears all things. It doesn't matter how you feel or what your perspective is, which is why I said it doesn't really matter how I feel on the subject, except that I want peace. And whatever is in my power to establish peace in your life and to instill peace in this congregation, whatever's in my power, I'm going to do that, whatever that looks like, even if it's not what I want, even if it's not my preference. Very rarely is there ever a funeral that I do that I do not incorporate Numbers chapter 6. And this is not a funeral. <laughs> may feel like it today. It's a little heavy. And I get it. But the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. In 2021, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. In 2021, may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And in 2021, may the Lord give you peace. And may the Lord grant Northfield Boulevard peace as well. In 2021 and beyond. That's certainly my prayer for you, for your families, for this good church, and for whatever congregation that you are a part of visiting with us today. The greatest peace comes, not in this life, but it comes once we realize that life on earth is not about life on earth. The irony there is we've got to figure out that life on earth is not about life on earth. It's about living for eternity and dedicating ourselves to the cause of Jesus Christ. And if you have yet to become a Christian we are encouraging you to become one this morning. Because even though I said there's 108 and a half hours left in 2020, we're not guaranteed those 108 hours, are we? And so you must make the choice today, if you've not already, to become a child of God, to be baptized, to have your sins washed away, as is taught in 1 Peter 3.21, Mark 16.16, 16, and Acts 2.38. If you've done that, and maybe you're not pursuing peace, maybe you are actually uh, causing strife. If that's something that needs to be taken care of between you and a brother or sister, do so. If it's something that needs to be addressed to the church, do so as well. Or if you're just not living correctly, and you've just stopped your obedience to God, and you say, it's time for me to make the change, we would welcome the opportunity. We hope that you'll be at peace, spiritually speaking, more than anything else, with your choice to obey God this morning. If we can help, let us know while we stand and while we sing.